0: This is from a gentleman called uh, Dr. Davidson from uh, quite some time ago. He writes this essay. It's short. One God but no mediator sighs Job. One God and one mediator cries Paul. None or one? The difference between none and one is the difference of millions. None means nothing. One means everything. None means failure, one means felicity. None means despair, one means delight. None means perdition, one means paradise. The difference between no mediator and one mediator is a difference that can never be worked out by arithmetic. One God and only one, one mediator and only one. But one is enough. It is only in the small things of life that I long for selection. In the great things of life, I long for satisfaction. And that's, how I, that's the line that I wrote down, I don't even know when, when I read this essay, uh, some time ago. That line, in the small things of life, I want selection. In the great things of life, I want satisfaction. He explains. When my appetite is sated and food is almost a matter of indifference to me, I like to be invited to choose between this and that and the other. But when I'm starving, I do not hanker after choice. I do not want to choose. Put food before me and I'm content. If I'm taking a stroll for the mere pleasure of walking, I like to come to a place where several roads meet and to select the path that seems to be most tempting. But if weary and travel-worn, and I am struggling desperately homewards, I do not want to have to choose my path. I dread the place where many roads meet, the place where I may go astray. My felicity lies in simplicity. I want but one road if that road leads me home. Robinson Crusoe climbs the hills of his island solitude and shades his eyes with his hand as he sweeps the watery horizon, he's looking for a sail. One ship will do. He does not want a fleet. There is but one way of salvation for my storm-tossed soul. There is but one name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is but one God and one mediator between God and men. And one is ample. The difference between no mediator and one mediator is a difference That has all eternity within it. Our topic today is deception. And that, the reason why I chose that is because one of the great deceptions in life is that we, that God's holding back on us. That God has all the good stuff and He's only given us a little. And so He's stringent, His righteousness is restrictive. As uh, Davidson says there, he offers one, and the world, Satan in the world offers hundreds. He offers one way, and the world says, no, 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 that's restrictive. There are many ways to happiness, to fullness, to joy. And it's deceiving. And that's what Paul's going to bring out in our passage. That's what we're going to look at this week the deception, what the Bible says about deception. And why, and in, in, in the ways in which it warns us that we can, even as believers who know the Word, can be deceived. And God is going to give us choice and also teach us how to not be deceived. So, before we sing, let's open up in prayer. Let's be grateful and thankful. That's one of the ways in which deception is upon the human race, is that we should only be thankful when things are going our way. We should always be thankful to God for everything he gives us. So, with uh, thankfulness and reverence and humility, let's open up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for another day in your world another day in which we count it a blessing to know that we'll live in the next world with you, face to face with our Lord and Savior, saved by His grace, by His blood, the resurrected Lord who sits at your right hand, whose kingdom is going to come to this world. And before that time, though we live in the old kingdom, the fallen one, we know that we're members of your kingdom. And so, as such, we have the privilege, privileges of sons and daughters. We're adopted, inherited. You have set us free, and we are free indeed. Therefore, Father, we turn to your word again this morning and also lift up our voices in worship of you and experiencing the joy of your salvation and also the, the wonderful uh, guidance of your word to live the life that you've given us, not waiting for heaven, but living it now. It's challenging as all get out, but we thank you for pulling us forward and challenging us and pushing us towards that which is truly the glory of God, of our Lord. Through your spirit, Father, we ask for your insight, and we thank you for all you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All rise, please. All right, let's start in 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. we we'll We're looking at our main passage and um, the plan is this week to finish this paragraph. I think I said that last week. Um, the theme that we see here is deception. Um, it's one of the themes, one of the main themes of this paragraph which begins in verse 1 and it's Paul's uh, dealing with the fact that the Thessalonians had received some false information about whether or not they were living during the tribulation or the day of the Lord. And Paul had taught them about the day of the Lord and they were and they're under heavy persecution as we have noted. And um, they're some somehow some way they had gotten the idea that they might be in the, living in the tribulation, and Paul's going to correct them of that. And while he corrects them of that, he's going to warn them about deception. Uh, he's going to use the tribulation to come, where deception on the earth is going to be at its height, and he's going to use that as an example to them to make sure that now, even though they're not in the tribulation, that they're not deceived. Because all of us can be, and we'll then see various passages where God warns us about that. Um, The theme of this is that only truth from God's word will allow us to navigate life abundantly. Um, There's a lot of things out there that are claiming to be truth, hence they're deceiving. Of course, they're not going to come out and say, hey, this is a lie, they're going to say it's truth. And... There's a lot of things out there that are saying that it's true, that they're good, that they're right. And the only source of good, true, and right that, so that we have the information to know what it is and to be able to discern it is from the Scripture. And this we know. But deception we're warned of from the very Scripture. We're warned over and over about not being deceived and what deception is. So notice in our passage, deception in this paragraph is mentioned four times. In verse 1, just to review, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So somehow they had gotten this information that the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation, had come. And whether it's by a letter or by word of mouth, Paul doesn't really know. And then he says in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you. So there's your first instance of deceive. Don't let it happen. Let no one deceive you. For it, meaning the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And that's the uh, apostasy means to go away from the law. So the, there's, an, there's apostasy always, but this is a particular apostasy that is a going away of all things, both political and religious, from God. And that's to come. So unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, and there's our Antichrist, he is revealed, the son of destruction or perdition who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. In the ancient world, the various gods were the gods of every city, every country. They all had their gods. So when it says he exalts himself above all gods, what Paul is really getting at is that he exalts himself above all nations, above all peoples, And therefore, he puts himself above all peoples and he will do this. And then he puts himself in the temple and claims that he is God. And Paul is saying that hasn't happened yet, but it will. And so he says in verse 5, Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So this... This uh, false kingdom, uh, this rebellion against God, this falsehood of uh, all things that are ungodly have already been at work, Paul says, but it has been restrained. And then he's going to say that at some point the restraint's going to be taken away. <clears throat> so he says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In verse 7, only he who now restrains, we'll just say that that's God, you know, that's God's restraining him will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. The appearance of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, is going to destroy him and put an end to his kingdom. And that is the last Gentile, ungodly kingdom of which all have been. All nations there's not been one godly nation in this world. Even Israel, for the most of its history, has not been a godly nation, as we see in the Old Testament. None of mankind's nations have actually survived as being godly. Right? They all get corrupt. They all fall apart. Even ours, America, the greatest of, uh, that has ever been in the history of the world, has been corrupted. and It was corrupted from the beginning. And that's because we're a bunch of sinners. All right, so it'll, but then at the end of the tribulation, when the Lord returns, there's no more. There's no more uh, kingdoms of man that rebel against God. They'll all be gone, never to happen again. And that's at what? The appearance of His coming. And then in verse nine, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. So this is the empowered, back to the Antichrist now in verse 9, speaking again of him. The Lord's going to destroy him, but his activity or his power is of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, And, and with all the deception. So there's your second case of deception. With all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. There's the third instance of deception. But this time, God is sending it. So we're going to deal with that this week. Why is God sending delusion to people who are already deceived? So that's a question we have to answer. And uh, God's going to send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Believing what is false, that's again a deception. So that's the fourth one. So we have four instances of deception. And God says in verse 12, in order that, right? So the purpose of why I'm sending them delu- delusion upon them, in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So the, we're going to focus this week on the last part, which is verses 10 through 12. This deception of wickedness, or in verse 10, it's all the deception of wickedness. And we'll be focusing on two things. The first one, which is today, is what is deception and what does the Bible tell us about it? <clears throat> what is deception? We say, well, I know what deception is when someone lies to me and I believe it. And that's true. But in the scripture, it's, it goes to deeper levels. You know, how do we deceive ourselves? Because we're warned against that. How to, you know, what things can deceive us? If I know a lot of scripture, can I still be deceived? The answer is yes. So what can deceive me and why? You know, why is deception so powerful? And we'll see that as the Bible talks quite a bit about it. The second thing we'll deal with this week is why does God send a strong delusion to all those who are already deceived? Why does he do that? And does he only do it in the tribulation, or does he do it now? Has he done it in all ages? Send delusion to certain people. And when, you know, is it an inward delusion? Or is it just, does God send a bunch of things that people can't figure out? Or is it like inward? Does God do something to the mind, to the soul that causes people to be, you know, blinded? So, we'll get to that second part. We're not going to understand why God sends delusion unless we understand what delusion is. So, what is it? and What does the Bible tell us about it? Deception is this, in in your passage there, in our passage, is apate. That's the Greek word. There's a verb also, apatao, uh, which means that which gives a false impression. It can mean deception or deceitfulness. And, uh, you know, to spell it out a little, it means that which gives a false impression. Uh, deception is more involved, therefore, in being tricked by someone. You believe the, the news report and it was a lie, right? Uh, you know, someone told you something and it was a lie. Uh, someone, you know, whatever, you know, and it goes way beyond that because all of us can be fooled. We don't have all knowledge, if something looks true and I believe it, I'm not at fault because someone lied to me. That's their fault. Um, but you know, and but this is this is like a life in, in in involved in in the fabric of our very hearts by which we believe something, and it's a belief that we carry with us every day and all the time. And so um, this is. Deception, a false impression, and it's concerning something. To describe this, it's all deception of wickedness. So the word "all" means everything. This is a Greek word. Means this It means all things. All deception of wickedness, and wickedness is the Greek word "adikia." Now, adikia is um, it's the word righteousness. Get my pen here. So the the without the a, the dikia means righteousness. Yeah, if you could put that back up, Alan. Dikia means righteousness in Greek. They put the a in front of it, the aleph. Sorry, alpha, (laughs) aleph is Hebrew, but uh, they put alpha in front of it and it makes it negative. So adikia, dikia is righteousness. Adikia is unrighteousness. And unrighteousness, which is wickedness here, can also be interpreted iniquity. And this deception is of this. This deception of unrighteousness. Now, the reason why I like unrighteousness is because when we see the word wickedness, we're often thinking about certain sins. And you know whatever you think is wicked, and whatever... Well, back in New England, we used to think things were wicked cool. A wicked smart, you know. Uh, and, and wicked, therefore, could be good, you know. But generally, when you think of wicked, you're thinking of some kind of sin. Whereas unrighteousness covers a much broader uh, spectrum. And unrighteousness could mean the very nice next door neighbor who's very smart and very nice and doesn't break any laws. And he is completely unrighteous. Right? So uh we, you wouldn't call them wicked, right? uh, but you might call them unrighteous. And and that's why this is, unrighteousness means uh, deeds that violate the law and justice. And they come in all shapes and kinds. And we'll see that. Let's see it. Let's go to Romans 1.28. Paul's use of all would refer to the tribulation, right? So all deception of wickedness, that's when the time comes that, as we've read and we've talked about it, the restraint against this lawless one will be lifted. And when the restraint is lifted, whether it be governments or the church or the Holy Spirit, whatever it is that God is using to restrain the lawlessness of of Satan in this world... When that restraint is lifted, the deception is at its fullest. The fact that it's restrained means that the deception is still here, it's just not as bad as it could be. In some ways it's restraint. Uh, and you can see this. Like there's a there's people believing a lot of lies in our day and age that all of us are like shaking our heads like, how can you believe that a man can be a woman? You're like legitimately a woman? And like you're actually in races <laughs> or weightlifting competitions against women. You know, shave your beard before you go in a women's weightlifting contest. Like, we shake our heads at this, and there are people in our society who say, no, that's absolutely legitimate. But see, not everybody believes that. Actually, a great majority don't believe that. But there will come a time when the people who have the voices of reason are going to be so small. Uh, They'll be here. In the tribulation. There's 144,000 witnesses. There's also angels in the atmospheres preaching the gospel to all nations. But as far as members of the human race who are sticking with truth, they are very few. And But in our day and age, this res- there's a restraint. So this all deception of wickedness is coming, or all deception of unrighteousness, is coming in the tribulation. But now it is here. And the things that we can be deceived of. Now, those who are deceived are described in our passage, which I went away from here. But it's those who will perish because they did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved. Well, look at that this week. What does it mean not to have a love of the truth? But they're also told that they took pleasure in wickedness. We're also told who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So, and that word wickedness is this word, adikia. So they took pleasure in unrighteousness. And here it is. This unrighteousness, which is wickedness, has many forms. It could be a gross immorality. You know, As our, our passage says that the people who have been deceived have took pleasure in unrighteousness. They like it. They go for it. They are uh, after it, so to speak. Immortality, not immortality. I always do that, don't I? Immorality, criminality, tyranny, addiction, addiction to chemical substances, addiction to sexual sins, seeking glory for self, greed, and all the way to things like gossip. Look at Romans 128. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, we read that God sends a deluding influence or sends what is called a strong delusion. God sends it. Notice there's a similar wording here in Romans 1. God gave them over. Sent upon them, gave them over, right? God is involved here somehow. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all, and there's our word, unrighteousness. So see, in Thessalonians, the New American Standard translates it wickedness. And here it translates the exact same word, unrighteousness. So, you know, in context that, that may be true. But I like unrighteousness much better. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Now what comes after all unrighteousness looks to me like a list. Right? There's all unrighteousness and then we get kind of specific. Well, first another general word which is wickedness. But then we get specific greed envy full of sorry greed evil full of envy murder strife deceit malice they are gossips slanderers haters of god insolent arrogant boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents without understanding untrustworthy unloving unmerciful and although they know the ordinance of god that those who practice such things are worthy of death They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see, they're even cheering others on to do this. They take pleasure in unrighteousness. So, as members of the human race who are in this category, all of us were in this category before we became born again believers. And yet, even as born again believers, some of these things can rule us. I wouldn't say all of them. If you're a if you are a serial killer, <laughs> I doubt your christianity, you know. But you know, you can be ruled by deceit here or even gossiping. You could be ruled by arrogance. Maybe you like to boast about yourself. Right? There's boastfulness is right there. You'd be disobedient to parents, like a younger Christian, or even an older Christian who doesn't have obedience or respect for their mom and dad. Untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. These things can describe Christians that are in some way deceived into thinking that the time is ripe for gossip. Correct. I mean, I have gossiped. I know you're shocked, but I have. And at the time, and even at times, knowing that it's wrong, it's just too much fun to do it. And I think somehow to myself, well, this is good. Maybe they need to hear this. You know, maybe I'm protecting them. They need to know what so and so did. The time is right for gossip. Or the time is right for whatever. Any of these. But all of it is unrighteousness. So you're 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 spanning the globe here from murderer to gossiper and judging, you know, judging would be in here somewhere as well. So there are many forms of unrighteousness and you know, some believers can be ruled by them. All of us fall into them time to time. I mean, hopefully you haven't fallen into murder, but you know, we we see believers in the Bible who have done so. And uh, they're forgiven. Because if we're not forgiven of all sin... And see, here's a deception. Part of the deception of the world is that, wait a minute, you can't say that you could be a murderer and be a Christian. That means we can all run out and kill people. That's what I've heard. I've heard people say that. Like when I tell them that all their sins are forgiven, you say, well, I can go out and just kill somebody? Like, that's, that's your initial response to forgiveness, as you want to go kill someone? Seriously? But when we do, right, we have 1 John 1 9. We, and we know this. We're forgiven of all sin. And in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. That's the same phrase. All adikia. All unrighteousness. Confession is cleansing your soul. God's already forgiven you of all your sins. Confession, and I would say repentance, repentance meaning to stop and turn around, stop doing that, is the means of which you free yourself from the lingering effects of sin. Because if you're a slave to a certain sin, the effects of that sin linger. Even though you're not doing it every waking moment, it lingers because it's mastered you. And Christ has set you free. So confess it. Don't hide it. Confess it and get on the path to mastering it. Or as the Bible says, overcoming. And I remember saying this, that thing is a weakness of mine. That is my greatest weakness. I don't think I can overcome it. That was a lie. And why did I tell myself that? Because I wanted to keep doing it. It was a convenient lie. Oh, and I believed it wholeheartedly. But it was a lie. So free yourself, because this is what God wants for you. Deception is the false impression that any one of these at some time is good. It's good. The time is right for gossip. I need to get this off my chest. I'll feel so much better. (laughs) The time is right for greed and not giving. Why? Because it cost me 90 bucks to fill my tank and then I bought two bags of groceries and it cost me $120. And my gas bill is up through the roof. I don't know mine, thank you Larry. And uh, on and on, right? I, I mean, the inflation, the cost of living has gone up drastically. Okay, I, I mean, i got to protect my family here. That's a lie. You've bought a lie. Time is right for greed. How about boasting? The time is right for boasting. Why? Well, I've had a tough week and I want to tell you how good I did at this or that. And by the way, you might not know how good I am. And it'd probably do you a good thing to know how good I am. So I'm going to boast about myself for a little bit. And it helps my self-esteem, by the way. Take any one of these from the list. You can make a scenario. Romans 1, 29 through 32. Make your own scenarios. Actually, I would, in, I would I invite you to read the list carefully and see what if there's anything on there that is mastering you. And then start. Find out what it is in your heart that is deceiving you. Because if any of those are mastering you as a believer, there's something you're deceived about. Guarantee it. And we'll get to some of the bigger ones. So, what is deception? God is holding back. All right, and my picture there from the Bible Project is the Garden of Eden. Right, here's the first deception upon the human race. Did God really say you can't eat of any of the trees? Oh, uh, well, he said you can eat uh, of them, but you can't You can't eat of this one or touch it. Uh, let me tell you why. There's a reason why God told you you can't eat of that tree. Because you'll know good and evil, and then you'll know what he knows. The implication, he doesn't want you to know what he knows. He's holding back. He's holding back on you. Why would I envy another Envy's on our list, is it not? Paul's list. Yeah, full of envy. That's the one, two, three, fourth one. <clears throat> Why would I envy? Because they have something that I want, and God is obviously not giving it to me. So He's holding back. This is the deceit that I don't have enough, and I need more whatever. It could be intelligence. God's holding back on intelligence. And then the, the world and the kingdom of darkness will say, well, we got intelligence for you. It'll make you a genius in no time. You really, and you don't have to work that hard for it. It's, it's really a quick genius course that the world has. You master a few headlines and a few uh, talking points, and you are a genius pretty much at everything. You don't have to study it out. Please don't ask questions. Just say what we tell you to say. And we're going to see, we're going to see this because God sends a delusion on the people. We're going to look at this week. There's a place in Jesus' ministry where he starts to talk to them in ways that are deluding to many of them. And they're called parables. And he says plainly, I'm speaking in parables because those who don't believe are not going to be allowed to see. But those who do believe are going to see much. And the parable is perfect for this. And in a way, a parable is a discipline upon certain people. As is the delusion in the tribulation is going to be a discipline. It's a judgment upon those because to live properly and prosperously in a moral universe, the one thing you need is truth. In a, a moral universe has solid truths that are eternal truths. God, it's not Satan is the prince of this world for a little while, but it's not his world. God's universe is a moral place and to live prosperously, you have to have the truth. If you're deceived, you can't do it. And so the truth is what we need. And we are deceived into thinking, well, no, there's all other kinds of things you need besides the truth. Holding back blessing. God's holding back from us. He doesn't want us to enjoy life like He does. When we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we found out that God, without God, sorry, that we were unable to discern good and evil. We ate from the tree and then in a fallen state, You say, now we know that there's good and evil and there's a choice between the two, but we can't make that choice because we're not smart enough. Without God, we can't figure that out. And so you have the first two children, if they are the first two, but the first two mentioned in the scripture, which is Cain and Abel. And one is completely deceived and the other gets it. But the other gets what? I mean, we're not going to call Abel a genius. He might have been. But the one thing he does is offer to God the offering that God wants. He brings an animal to the offering, to the east gate. And that's what God told him to do. So Abel becomes smart in that respect because in that respect he is responding to God's word. And therefore the animal sacrifice is good. What Cain offers is not good because he thought it up on his own. So, Satan's first deceit was that God is holding something back from us. Is he? I mean, he's got all these rules, right? Rules of righteousness, rules of conduct, commands that we have to follow. They're narrow. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Isn't it restrictive? Isn't he against women? Got to obey your husbands. Can't speak in church. Although I heard a few of you. <laughs> Paul said you can't speak in church. God has all the fun and the pleasure, and he doesn't want you to have any of it. Look at First Thessalonians four. Go back uh, forward. You're in I don't know where you are. You're in Romans. Go forward to First Thessalonians four. And verse three. God has all the pleasure. And then the and, and he doesn't want you to have it, what he has, right? God has all the pleasure and he gives you a bunch of rules. And you have to there's things you can't do. So here comes the lie, the deception, is that look, God has sold you down the river and and you can't have fun in life. So we're going to give you substances that are going to make you have fun. So, alcohol, drugs, and illicit sex. Pornography is huge in this world right now. And we're going to give you that because he tells you you can't have sex unless you're married. Talk about restrictive. And you can't really have any fun because you have to do all this menial tasks and details of life stuff. And it's just no fun at all. So, we're going to give you some alcohol and some drugs and you can you can booze yourself up and everything will be great. You know... God is stringent. We're going to set you free. And we buy it. People buy it. But then God says this. Verse 3, 4-3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel, his own body. I love how Paul says here, it's yours. Right? There are other passages where Paul says it's God's, it's not yours. And so we in our big theological brains, say, wait a minute, what is it? This is God's body? Is it my body? If it's my body, my choice. Isn't that the phrase? I could do it at what I want. I'm going to be a girl or a boy or something in between. In this case, the emphasis, the reason why it's stated as your vessel is because you're responsible for it. So how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles or unbelievers who don't know God. You see, their problem, they don't know the truth. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter, that talks about greed, defrauding someone for the sake of wealth. Because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, he will judge just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, unrighteousness, but in sanctification, set apart unto him holy. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You're not rejecting the pastor. You're not rejecting the Apostle Paul. If you reject this, you're rejecting God. And this is what gives Paul such confidence in his ministry. Because he was rejected a lot. So, what else? God has all the intellect and the secrets of wisdom. And you don't have any. Right? God made us all kind of dumb. Not kind of. But he only gives you the stuff in the Bible, they say. Right? First off, it's outdated. It's super old. And it's limited. And it's got a bunch of fairy tales in it. What we have for you, says the deception, is the real truth. You know, solid. It's material. People will say to us, you're living a lie. You're living a fantasy. You don't know reality. I know reality, they say. I know reality. I work and I pay my bills and I do this and I do that. That's reality. You're up in Never Never Land somewhere. But what you just mentioned is True, it's material, and we also take care of it. But is it life? Is that what life is? Your bills? Your mortgage? You just surviving with a nice house and living to whatever age? That's what life is? For the animals it is, but not for us. We're created in God's image. We are stuck. Every human being is stuck with the nagging feeling that this isn't life. Every one of us. Don't drown it with whatever. Explore it. And you know what? At times it's scary to explore it. At times God is as scary as all get out. Explore it. Great things in life to find are going to be scary. But then when you find it, you'll wonder what you were afraid of. But it's uneasy. I love one of my uh, I love the writing of George MacDonald, and George MacDonald often says the doubting Christian is the one on his way to truth. He says it all the time. And I love that. He's really taught. I doubt the existence of God. I doubt the the Trinity. That's crazy. The hypostatic union. That God could save me? That that all happened 2,000 years ago? That he actually died on a cross for my sins? Doesn't that sound bizarre? And to most of the world it is. And I think for some Christians, they hear it and they accept it and they never think about it. They never think, think of the impact that that is. Was it real? Is there a real Savior? Who's your Savior seated at the right hand of God somewhere up in heaven? Is that true? And when we explore that, there will be doubts in our mind. There's nothing wrong with that. That's you on the threshold of eternity looking into things that the people and these deceived people are going to say that's a fairy tale, man. You believe in you're believing a fairy tale. But it is truly the only reality because it's eternal. All this stuff that they say is reality. First off, when they die, they're not bringing it with them. So how real was it? And secondly, there's going to come a time where it's all going to be burned up and gone. How real is it? Don't be deceived. I love that uh, when it comes to intellect, I think of people... Just think of your any person you know who's like a modern pseudo-intellectual who thinks they're pretty smart because they know a little bit of science or a little bit of evolution or a little bit of political theory. Maybe they've read a book or two and, you know, they have all knowledge. And they think, you know, the stuff that we're putting our hearts and souls into is just stories for children, you know. So examples in the New Testament. Well... Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Examples in the New Testament of, uh, okay, when did I have that slide? Oh, there it is. No fun allowed. I guess I already talked about that. But, uh, yeah, God's righteousness is nothing but a bunch of restraints. In a, there's no fun in this. Uh and, you know, one of the things that uh, you, you find out here is that of all of these things that are so-called restrictive, or, or I should say, sorry, on the flip side, uh, enlightening, right? Like when the, enlighten, the enlightenment came, when the Enlightenment came in the four, uh, 15th century, we were all like, God, we had enough of you. We figured it out on our own now. Thanks. Thanks for taking us this far, but we don't need you anymore because we figured out what? Science and stuff like that. And, uh, and so we're able to say, well, the, we don't need the restriction of God, and we pursued all kinds of stuff. And when you pursue these things that are sin, even things like gossip, why do we do it? Judge. Envy others. For whatever sick reason, because we're fallen, it releases a pleasure response in our brain. Dopamine. I mean, to just get down to the chemical nature of it. When you gossip or slander or have envy or take that chemical that you want to re- you're releasing dopamine in your brain and it makes you feel good. But what happens with these substances, what are in, and I do mean things like gossip and all of that, getting angry, right, being bitter. I'm, I, need, I need to get angry here. It's the time for my anger. And I, I, may, I self-justify it. And I feel good. And it's a dopamine release. But you see, with dop- the dopamine release happens and then it's gone. And then you need it again. And again and again. And if you don't get it when you want it, your brain, this, this is true. It actually happens in rats. I read a study on this not long ago that you get full of anxiety. Your brain is used to this dopamine release from things like getting angry and gossiping. It's not just like drugs and alcohol. Everything that we, Every sin that has its pleasure releases it. And we get anxious when we don't get it. And it feels painful in our brains. We need it. And then in that we justify it. See, we've fallen into a deception. And as soon as we go into it, we've actually... Uh, created brain chemistry now what god has as a substitute for this what he teaches us is that you can get pleasure and joy not only can you but it's the only real source of it is pleasure and joy that comes from me from being with me see when you do god's will you're being with him his presence and your presence are together we call it fellowship right but that's what it is in that moment that you're actually doing his will, that's you and him together in harmony, and that gives you pleasure. Now, the thing about that pleasure is that it's not so much a dopamine release, and then I gotta, when the dopamine's gone, I gotta go get more. God is always present with me. Is he? He indwells you, he's omnipresent. Jesus Christ clothes you, he's with you, he's in you. And if you, follow, if you love him and follow his commands, he says, I'll build my house with you. And then your joy is not a dopamine release that I have to go get again. It's a constant walk with the Lord. And he promises there that you will have joy. So that's what he said. He said it in the upper room. I've given you my joy. Not as the world gives. My peace. Not as the world gives. The world's peace comes and goes. My peace doesn't leave. Isn't that what you want? Uh, Go to Matthew 4. We'll look at some more. We'll look at that uh, as the week comes. More uh, examples of Where desire is. I think think we've talked about it enough. Things like in the scripture, there's wealth, sin, false doctrine, and also desire, or areas of deception. We'll look at that some more this week. What I'm going to talk about now is food. (laughs) That's right, food. Food is also a dopamine releaser, of course, especially sugar. We were talking about that before in class. It's funny. I got um, uh, one of my news feeds uh, sent me an article this morning on uh, beating your sugar addiction. And I'm like, I'm like man, oh, man, that's, I definitely have that. Um, Proverbs 30, verse 8. Notice the food portion. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Right? What does he mean? I don't want too little. I don't want too much. I just want you feed me with the food that is my portion. Now do you think this is a uh, Agar? it's not actually Solomon writing this at the end of proverbs is chapter 30 is written by a man named eager we have no idea who he is isn't that wonderful And um do you think he's only talking about food here Right so, we find this in the Scripture. That's why I'm going to Jesus' temptation. Is that food or bread. In, in the Scripture, food is often you know parallel with bread. That bread or food is a type or a representative, say an analogy, if you will, of everything. And when I mean everything, I mean not the godly things, although it could be but it's an analogy of every earthly thing that we put into our bodies and our brains. So food for the mind, like right, that silly book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, that kind of thing. So the the food for the mind, which is I want gossip, I want judging, I want envy, I want to put someone down, I want a bit, I want to be bitter. Even if I don't say it from my mouth, but I'm bitter in my heart, if I find myself, I do this, I'll, I'll start thinking bitter thoughts against people when, you know, and I, I'm not saying a word, no one knows about it but me. And I'm, sometimes people are in the wrong, but when I'm doing it, I'm in the wrong. Who am I to be bitter against someone? God will judge them, not me. And while I'm stewing about whatever or whoever, I'm not taking, I don't have in my heart the bread of life. I got the bread of the world. And that's the deception. So food or bread becomes a type of all earthly things that can enter our bodies and our souls. And this is the temptation to Jesus. And we often look at this temptation in Matthew 4 of, you know, Satan wants him to do a miracle. And yet we wonder and scratch our heads, you know, uh, Jesus has done many miracles. He turned water into wine. What's wrong with turning stones into bread? So look at verse 1, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, whatever this temptation is about, I think we get good or very good insight into it by Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't say here that I'm not going to use my deity right now, although he doesn't. In verse 4 he says, he answers, it is written, and he answers with Deuteronomy eight eight 3, it is written, said by Moses, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so Jesus' response here gets to the heart of all deceptions. It's time for greed. It's time for gossip. It's time for envy. It's time for anger. It's time for jealousy. It's time for even murder. It's time for wickedness. It's right right now. For me, at least, it's right. And Satan says to Jesus, it's time for food. You haven't eaten in 40 days. It's time for food. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Because my father hasn't given me the food. So I don't want it right now. I mean, I'm hungry. I want it. But I ain't going to do it. And Jesus, therefore, gets his response, gets to the heart of overcoming all deceptions. And it's knowing who you are. In your relationship with your Lord, is that you were not made for the good of earth's things, but for God's things. You—that's what you're made for. You weren't made for that. That gossip, slander, envy, murder, wickedness. Uh, one of the ones was disobeying your parents. All right, there's, kind of, there's, a t, there's a Christian teenager out there, there's a billion of them, I guess, who would say, well, there's a time where I can disobey my parents because they're wrong. But God puts his restriction on that. But you never have a right to disobey your parents, whether they're right or wrong. Just like we have never have a right to, uh, to um, disobey authority unless it tells us to sin. Of course, I should throw that in there. Unless the parents tell you to sin, then you, you don't have to do that. And Jesus here quotes Deuteronomy eight three, which is about manna. It's about the manna in the wilderness. He humbled you and let you be hungry. Why don't you, go ahead and turn there. This will yeah, this will do. So this is what Jesus quotes to Satan, and Satan is really trying to, just as he does in the garden, he's trying to deceive. Now getting back to where we started here for today, don't be deceived, Paul said, and that there will be great deception in the tribulation. And the ones who are deceived in the tribulation are the ones who didn't love the truth. And we're going to see this this week. In the tribulation, you're going to be faced with a great decision. I mean you, but anybody who's in it is going to be faced with a great decision. And it basically boils down to who's going to kill you. But what is standard in the tribulation is that you are going to die. Well, that's true for all of us, right? But either you're going to be martyred if you stand for God in the tribulation. You're going to be killed. The Chances are you're going to be killed by the Antichrist. But if you... And then these, the 144,000 witnesses, angels are, are all over telling everybody that judgment is coming. And if you take the mark of the beast, if you fall down and worship that guy you are going to be judged by me, by God. So which one do you want? You want to be judged by the Antichrist? You want to be judged by me, God? And that's going to be their choice. Now, we don't have that choice here now. It's not particularly like that, but it is somewhat analogous to that. Is that you and I have a choice that we're either going to be judged by the people who are our peers, or we're going to be... uh, put in pain by our flesh and our brains that want the fix, uh, or or we're going to follow our Lord and obey His commands and actually live our lives in light of the Word and say that, you know what, my necessary food, my necessary sex and alcohol and drugs, my necessary... Uh, desire to be loved by others and admired by others. Because in every case of these, there's a legitimate use of it. Right? It's abuse of the things that make them wrong, that make them unrighteous. And God says, I'm going to provide that for you. And Jesus said it so beautifully and simply. Seek first my kingdom and I'll provide it all. And it will be life, as he says, abundantly. Not this life of putting all kinds of stuff into your brain, mental sins, other things into your body. We may call them physical sins. And we're, and we're getting by and trying to keep happiness at a certain level. And it keeps dropping. And I keep trying to push it back up there. And it keeps dropping. And I keep trying to push it. And I'm just coping. And God says, "That's not the reason I came to earth. To give you a life of coping. It's so, Look at Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you and let you be hungry. Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you and let you be hungry in the wilderness. He's talking to the, Moses here. This is really Moses' farewell letter, is Deuteronomy. In the wilderness, the Jews, the Exodus, they grew hungry. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And you see, the fact that you didn't know it means that you had to put your trust in God. Is manna going to be out there tomorrow? And by the way, it doesn't come on Saturday. There's another aspect to this, that man doesn't live on bread alone, also has the Sabbath uh, embedded in it. Because the Sabbath is when God finishes creating the earth and on the seventh day, He rests and Adam and Eve are in the garden in blessing, covered by God, protected by God, God resting, the work is done. And on, this, on Saturday, you did not collect manna because that was a day that you celebrated and thought on that truth. That the Lord God is your God. And you have nothing to worry about. You can rest and live your life with Him. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Live your life, which takes following commands, doing what He tells you, not doing what He tells you not to do, and learning His Word, knowing the truth so you're not deceived. It takes all of that. Learning his word, obeying it, going forward, laying aside all of these temptations. And when you sin, as we said, confess and repent and keep going. And when you do that, you're living your life, no matter what he has for you to do, you're living your life in the presence of God. And that's what we're designed for. The other stuff, it doesn't matter what it is. How much God gives you? Well, how much man is going to fall? Is it coming tomorrow? Is it not? Is God faithful? You know, and we know the Jews get sick of it. Manna again? Seriously? But that, and that's why I opened up with, uh, what's his name? Davidson, out of this book. He said if you're starving, if you were starving, and somebody put a dead rat in front of you, You'd be like, thank you, God. I know this to be true because we're big fans of the show alone. Have you ever watch that show? And they go, we're watching the frozen one now, and the people without, they catch a squirrel. They are, you know, none of them are praying to God. They're praying to the ancestors or whatever. They're all pagans, but whatever. The, the, the lesson is, if, if, God, if there's a dead, smelly rat in front of you, you would be so grateful. And what did he say in here? With the, look, took my bookmark out. With the little things, we want choices. With the big thing, we want satisfaction. With the little things, we want choices. I used to be addicted to the food network. I love the food network, you know. Talk about, you know, I could make this and make that and make that and make that and make that. And, you know, food becomes an idol and a god. I think for some it can be. But, you know, is this what life is? The choice of what kind of food I can have? That I have enough money to actually eat at any restaurant I want and order what I want? Is that what life is? And some of us, some even believers, are deceived into thinking, yeah, that's what it is. Is there? And so here the other deception is, well, it's not that. So you better quit it. <laughs> You better quit it with the food thing, because you're you're a hedonist, pleasure seeker. And then the pendulum swings all the way over, and here comes the the old bitty legalist, self righteous. You know, won't eat uh, won't eat anything tasty because if it tastes good, it's got to be sinful. I've known people like this. Are you going to eat a cookie? Ooh. Right, you know God's watching you. You can't have anything to drink, You're teetotalers. No alcohol. Oh, God said, don't be drunk. If you can handle alcohol in moderation, go for it. But if you can't, make sure you know that. Don't deceive yourself. There's a certain portion of the population, by by percentage, that cannot handle alcohol in any moderate way. If you fall into that category, you should know it. If you're lying to yourself about it, then you're going to go through life not living the way that God has designed you to live. And you're like you're just deceived. But it's not just that. It could be anything. Anger, gossip, bitterness, the whole list here. So, we need bread. Yeah. Jesus tells us this, right? it's, you don't need the Son of God to tell you that, that you can die of starvation. We need to eat. We also our other desires for sex and companionship and to be loved and all of that is legitimate. But, life is truly about the Word of God and the other things, seeking first His kingdom and then the other things we leave in His hands. And He says, and you have to trust Him for this, just like the Israelites and all that, you have to trust Him for this, that He will provide it perfectly for you. But for many, they're not waiting. They're not going to wait long enough. Look, God, I've been waiting for you to fulfill this for a minute and a half. A too long. So I'm going to go fulfill it myself. And as the Lord said, where your heart is, that's where your tre- where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. All right, now we can pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the grace that you provide to each of us so that we see the truth. And by seeing the truth, we can not be legalists, but also not be licentious, but to actually put things in your hands. As the, as the writer of that proverb said in chapter 30, Just give me what is proper for me. And we know that you will. And we seek first your kingdom. Walking with you. Obeying you. Living life with you. It is the only life. Life abundant. May we see that truth and not be deceived. In Christ's name, amen. I'll take our offering right now and get you out of here. Thought I was going to finish early. Never happens. Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for your uh, opportunity to give. And we give as your believer priests in worship of you and honor of you, Father. And we ask that you bless this offering to your glory. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. amen. Hello, good The offering's going to be by how many choruses of I'll Fly Away we get through. <laughs> that was quick. Just kidding. Uh, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Thank you for uh, bringing us together, us to hear your word. We thank you for all that you do, for our Savior, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God. Anybody listening who has not believed upon him, I tell you right now with all honesty by myself, by other witnesses, so many, and by the Word of God, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the only one. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He became a man to die for the sins of the whole world, and He died for your sins. He was While He hung on the cross, He was judged for your sins. And by Him, by faith in Him, and he, that He died for you and is resurrected again. He was resurrected on the third day. By faith in Him, you will be saved. The Word of God is clear. You just believe upon Him. It's not about works. You believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world through His death on the cross. And if you believe that, you will be with Him